And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 274. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris, and I am your host. And yeah, so uh, we're back after a, an unexpected little bit of hiatus there. Sorry about that, folks. But, you know, real life sometimes interferes in ways that uh, you can't really predict. Um, I'm actually getting in the uh, kind of preparation here possibly to move in the next couple of months so i am actually looking to uh, to get a condo somewhere not too far from here somewhere still in chicago and um yeah so there may be other interruptions as this process continues but hopefully i'll be able to record far enough ahead that it keeps interruptions to a minimum still haven't seen guardians of the galaxy 2 that's coming it'll probably be next weekend so for you a couple weeks from now but uh yeah sorry (laughs) but i but i still haven't seen it as of today um i'm actually recording on an off day because i am probably going to be going looking at a property on monday so decided that uh, recording on a Saturday night would probably be the best idea in this case. Okay, so before we get started, just a quick shout out to Chris Bendorf who says, no more DC Hercules. Yeah, so you're kind of going to get your wish because this is the last issue that we're covering of Hercules Unbound for a while. We'll be back to it though because the Simonson era is just starting. So uh, I didn't intend to cover the whole series in one fell swoop. Uh, so we're actually going to cover this issue and then move on to something else for a while. All right. And without any further ado, let's just go ahead and move on to our review. Hercules, hero of song and story. Hercules, winner of ancient glory. Fighting for the right, fighting with his might, with the strength of ten ordinary men. Hercules, people are safe when near him. Hercules, only the evil fear him. Softness in his eyes, iron in his thighs, virtue in his heart, fire in every part of the mighty. This is it, the showdown that shook the world. The immortal strength of Hercules, Unbound versus Ares, the unbeatable god of war. Yes, this week we are looking at Hercules Unbound, number six, retailed for 30 cents. September of 1976 is our cover date. Well, actually, August, September, because it's bi monthly. Cover art is by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Looks like uh, Garcia Lopez inking himself. It's actually one of the stronger covers we've had. But it shows Hercules, and he's going up against... I don't know if this is supposed to be one of these ape men or not, but hes it's a guy on a horse, and he's wearing like Greek or Roman armor. The horse has more medieval-type armor on its head with a kind of a wee, wee, weird wavy unicorn horn. 
and the guy's carrying a medieval lance. So it was kind of a hodgepodge of sort of ancient Greek, Roman, and, and medieval features. And Hercules is shoulder-butting this horse right in the chest. And the horse has fangs, so it must be a vampire horse because those are not teeth like any horse I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, we open up to the splash page that says, Even a God May Die, a climatic story of Earth After the Disaster, presented by Jerry Conway writer. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Wally Wood are the artists. Joe Orlando is the editor. The splash page shows Hercules and Kevin and his uh, squished dog. Um, I think that we just saw a, a block of stone crush the dog last issue. And Jennifer there looks like uh, she's comforting Kevin in her own weird way. And uh, we get a little bit of caption work here. Morning in London post-World War III. The sun has been up for an hour now, and the day promises to be warm and mellow. For most of the city's inhabitants, it's a good day, but for some it still seems night, a night filled with horror and sorrow and the death of a canine friend. And, yeah, so Jennifer is thinking, I've never seen anyone as brave as Kevin. His dog dies, but does he cry? No, and I think that disturbs me. It makes me feel a little bit frightened. And we also have the, uh, the, the, that humanoid ape person who's following them around. He's there too. We still get Jennifer's thoughts here, and, and we're getting get Jennifer's thoughts throughout here. There's so much about Kevin I don't understand, and it worries me. He's blind, but in certain ways he sees things more clearly than I do. He's a stranger, and in a few short weeks he's become more important to me than a brother. I can't understand the boy, and I doubt Hercules can either. For that matter, I don't understand Hercules. He calls himself a god, the son of Zeus, a prince of Olympus, but that's so fantastic and unbelievable, I'd have to believe him crazy if I didn't know for a fact that whole thing's true. After all, I was a prisoner in hell, and Hercules freed me. If that doesn't suspend a girl's belief, then what can? And they are interrupted by these sort of soldier creatures. They look like they must be Ares soldiers because they're human and they're not eight people. And they come jumping out from behind some kind of wall and Jennifer sees them. She's like, Kevin, Hercules, look out. I see them, Jennifer Monroe, says Hercules. I, I see them and I know their armor well. They are soldiers of Ares, the war god. And they seek to slay us all. And Hercules goes wading in, and he's smashing the, um, the the soldiers. We have uh, Duroc and you know the ape guy, and he's um, he's uh, he's got his machine gun. It looks like he's getting ready to attack too. We have soldiers that are attacking Jennifer and Kevin, at least uh, in some sense. <laughs> and then Duroc says, "Well, they might. They're in for a bloody surprise. This here part of London is my territory." And Dorok Malloy protects his own. Come on, mate. Kill the steel sheathed swine. And there's a brack attack attack of brack cow. And Hercules takes one of the soldiers and throws it at the two soldiers that are attacking Jennifer and Kevin. And knocks them both down by throwing their friend at him. And apparently that's enough to yeah do away with them or whatever. And Kevin gets knocked to the ground. He's like, Hercules, what happened? And Duroc answers, Don't worry yourself about, lad. We just killed ourselves some scum, that's all. 
I'm afraid that's not all, Durak Malloy. I hear horse hooves in the distance, growing louder. These soldiers have allies. And lo, they come. And yeah, we see a bunch of uh, soldiers on horseback, looking somewhat like the ones on the cover. So I guess those aren't really people after all. And uh, Durak is like, sweet mother of mercy, it's a bleeding army. Five of them? We can't possibly defeat five, can we? Well, there are four of them, and two of the, uh, one of them at least has a gun, so you never know. If the spirit wills it, Jennifer Monroe, says Hercules, anything may be done. Anything! And with a choom, Hercules leaps forward and tackles the first horse. So I guess this is the what we're seeing on the cover from a, a very different angle, but that is kind of what it looks like. After he chest butts the horse and he flings it into the wall with a crash, then he uh, you know, turns around and sees that there are two soldiers. They have grabbed Jennifer and they are, are carrying her off. And Jennifer's like, Hercules, help me! And uh, Hercules does the Incredible Hulk thing by uh, taking his two fists together, slamming them on the ground, smashing up the street with a rip is the sound effect. An ordinary man might choose an ordinary recourse, a running leap perhaps, a thrown stone, even a swinging club. But need we point it out, Hercules is not an ordinary man. He's a man-god, and his action is extraordinary. And um, yeah, so he's smashing up the street, and Durak's like, He's tearing up the old blooming street. It's like a bloody earthquake. Yeah, he knocks everybody down. And so the, just people are kind of laying around. And Jennifer goes up to Kevin and she says, You okay, Kevin? I thought I saw you smack your head. Don't fret, Jenny. I'm fine. But Basil, how's... Oh, you know, for a moment there with all the excitement, I almost forgot. And they actually do see him cr crying a little bit in the panel, though they don't mention it in the story. He's dead, Kevin. I'm sorry, but nothing can change that. I would not be so sure, Jennifer Monroe, says Hercules. Perhaps in this instance, death can be changed. Huh? For real? No lies, says Kevin. I knew you wouldn't let Basil just die, Herc. You couldn't let him down. You couldn't let me down. I knew it. Oh, man, I knew it. Ah, uh, pardon me, lad. "'Tis a parent I wanted." So Kevin is like hugging Hercules and um, he's being beckoned over by Jennifer. So, you know, booty call or whatever. So he goes off and uh, is talking to, uh, to Jennifer as Kevin continues to cradle the dead corpse of Basil. And they're whispering to each other, "'Will you tell me why you did that? "'Will you give me one good reason "'for breaking a young boy's heart? "'Will you?' "'Jennifer, lower your voice.' You know Kevin has ears like a hawk or whatever the expression is. Will you allow me to explain? Sure, if you can. I can, Jennifer Monroe, but will require the relating of a story. Have patience, I implore you, for unlike our friend in the underworld, Orpheus, I have no way with words. And we, we get a reference here to Hercules Unbound number three, where they uh, met Orpheus. There's a story which begins in the gardens of Mount Olympus, nigh on 2,000 years ago. Verily, it was the happiest hour of my life. And shows Hercules, and he's wearing the exact same clothes, and he is on Mount Olympus, and there's somebody with a hawk there, and uh, uh, other sort of Greek god people kind of wandering in the background. A time before my feud with Ares, when he and I were, if not friends, at least not enemies, that day he was falconing with another god, Cephas, a favorite sport of Ares, perhaps because of the violence involved. 
Ares was particularly proud of his bird, a gift from our father Zeus. He called it Red Claw, because of the blood which the fal- because of the blood in which the falcon seemed to bathe. On this day, Ares was assured of victory with his bird, but something went wrong. Perhaps a gust of wind threw Red Claw off balance. Perhaps the falcon lost its nerve. In any event, it was Red Claw which fell that day, not the other bird. Red Claw which fell dead at Ares' feet. Never before or since have I seen Ares distraught over the death of any creature, man or beast. He bent over the bird, caressing it with the hand strangely gentle. And as he touched Red Claw, something odd occurred. The falcon seemed to glow with unearthly energy, and suddenly lived again. How I know not, but would appear Ares has the touch of life. Incredible, but I believe you. In a way, it's almost fitting. The god of war holding the secret of resurrection. Do you think we can force Ares to help us? We can, Jennifer Monroe, and by Zeus we will, says Hercules. And we then shift scenes, and we see Ares, and he is with his army, and also with this Dave dude and the Simon dude, the uh, British guy and the American guy. And the caption says, But first Ares must be found, and though his whereabouts are still a mystery to Hercules, it need no longer be an enigma for us. And so we see them, and they are on the Salisbury Plain. You can tell that because they're in Stonehenge! And they, they ride up to Stonehenge on their horses, you know, bypassing the uh, big old car park and the uh, interpretive signs and the plexiglass shield around the monument and all that crap that they have there now. I guess that's still, all that stuff got d- dissolved in World War III because it's not there in the, in the picture. And they uh, arrive at Stonehenge and Ari says, Ho, riders! The day's ride is at an end, for we've reached our destination. The mystic forces flow deep at this place, like a dark subterranean river. We'll bathe in those waters tonight, and before morning, we'll meet our destiny. And Dave and Simon are whispering amongst themselves, Nutcake is going to meet his destiny sooner than he thinks, Simon Chum. Once I got these ropes off, cover me, will ya? Of course, David. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he manages to get the ropes off, and he jumps onto, uh, I guess... He's on a horse already, but now that his, his hands are free, he can actually control it. And he goes galloping off on the horse. And the one of the soldiers is like, Master, the mortal! And Harry's is like, He's escaping! After him, Dolt! Catch him or die! So they go running off, but Simon gets in the way on his horse, and he's like, Forgive me, lads, but a promise is a promise and all that. That's one blighter you'll just have to lose. Woof! And he runs his horse into one of the soldier's horses, and the soldier and Simon go falling off their horses onto the ground, uh, which has caused Simon's glasses to go humorously askew. And Ares comes up to him and he says, Simon St. Charles, this I swear, tonight you will regret you were ever born. And we shift scenes again. It says afternoon on the outskirts of the rubble, which once was London. And again, it's like out in the middle of the country, not really London. Uh, Very, very, I don't know, very sparse for for the UK in general. Our minds are composed, Dirac Malloy. You can't change them, says Hercules. We must leave London now, today. Well, governor, if that's the way it's got to be, then what can I say but good luck? I hope you find what you're looking for. All of you. Thanks, Durak, says Kevin. I mean that. You've been a real friend, even though... Hercules, I hear something. 
a horse riding this way, galloping. And it turns out it's David. And Jennifer says, oh my God, it's David. And just as the uh, the horse arrives where they are, the, the horse collapses onto the ground with a crump. Yeah, so the uh, horse has driven all the way from... from <laughs> All the way from Stonehenge to London in what seems like just an hour or two. I mean, okay, so that's one fast horse. I'll have to say that. And we shift scenes back to Stonehenge. And we're in Stonehenge. We have Aries. We've got Simon St. Charles. And Simon, the old man, is he's strung up by his wrists on the gun of a tank. And that looks like a World War II tank here. And the caption says, The nights are cold on the Salisbury Plain. The breeze sharp and chill. Less than six months ago, a visitor to the plane at night might hear crickets in the dark. But no more. The crickets are gone. More victims of the last world war. Do you wonder about your fate, Simon St. Charles? Does it concern you? I'd be insane if it didn't, old man. Insane? Mortal fool? What can such as you know of insanity? Have you lived thrice ten thousand years? Have you seen Holocaust follow Holocaust, war follow war, plague follow plague? Have you sought death a million times and found only life everlasting? You ask what I want from the human race, and I tell you, I want war, death, and destruction. I want the peace which an immortal can never find, the peace of black oblivion. There is your reason for war, Simon St. Charles. There is the lust for darkness eternal. And all of a sudden, Hercules is there. Now, you know, I'm no expert on British cartography or any of that, but I'm pretty sure that the Salisbury Plain is not right next to London. And I know this intimately well because I've been kind of all over the UK. So anyway, Hercules is there. He's somehow managed to get there really, really quickly, like the same night, which is just insane because, you know, the UK and the DC universe must be like five miles wide. Anyway, <laughs> so Hercules is there and he says, if you crave death, war god, step forth and it shall be yours. Hercules, says Ares, coming here was the last mistake you'll ever make, you sentimental fool. Guards, take him. And the guards come after Hercules and he, he kind of pushes them back and, you know, it's like, I've not come here to fight your trained dogs, Ares. I've come to battle the god of war and to settle our feud for all eternity. Can it be that you're afraid to face me? Is Ares no more than a clawing jackal and a coward too? And Ares doesn't like that. He's like, by all the demons in hell, give me my war mace and let the battle begin. So somebody hands him Hogan's mace and he and Hercules begin to fight each other. And Hercules punches him in the gut with a thumb. And we get a little bit of exposition here. And once the two gods lash out, Ares swinging his spiked mace, Hercules armed only with his fists and his power. Overhead, the gathering storm clouds clash, lightning scores the midnight sky, and a mortal bread thunder quakes the muddy earth. With two shattering blows, the son of Zeus sends Ares reeling, and we see him punching him in the jaw with a chakum and knocking Ares down, and knocking a bunch of his soldiers down too. These are pretty much the least coordinated soldiers ever. It's like the the the, the, the least competent flunky since the Batman TV show. So then uh, we have Ares picking up his mace, which has changed now. 
it's like it's lost its handle and yeah it, so he's just kind of flinging this very small looking mace on a on a small chain at, at hercules and he says yet not for naught was Ares named god of war in the moment of recovery he strikes and this time hercules is the one to stumble stagger and fall and the mace strikes hercules in the head with a bram and knocks him down Ares grabs one of the giant stones laying on the ground here at Stonehenge, and he's lifting it over his head. He says, Rise, damn you, rise, that I might smite you as you stand. Rise and make victory all the sweeter. And Hercules is kind of rubbing his head, and the, the perspective is really off here. Hercules looks much larger than Ares. Nay, war god, I have no need to rise, for victory is further than you think. And as uh, Ares tries to crush Hercules under this giant rock, Hercules just kind of casually reaches up and hits it with a karak and, <laughs> and just bashes this big piece of granite into bits. You dare mock me even now, shouts Ares. Is it any wonder that I hate you, that I have hated you since the day Zeus claimed you as his own? We were both his sons, yet it was you he loved, while I, I was ever despised. I was spurned. On Olympus, Zeus kept us apart and forbade us our battling, but we are on Olympus no longer, and tonight you die. And the two of them are wrestling, and you kind of see, you know, kind of fighting back and forth. And then Hercules takes his right fist and he slams the ground. And it says here, the son of Zeus makes but one reply, a sudden chattering blow to the earth beside him, the only reply the god of war will need. And the shockwaves reach out and start shaking the Stonehenge monument. And it topples the one of the tower things right onto Ares's head. Um, which, considering how far they are from it, I don't think that would actually work. But okay, so that's what happens. Uh, with a de-doom, it all falls down. And it says, The tendrils of vibration reach out through the ground, touching the ancient columns of Stonehenge and like the hand of an invisible giant slamming them down. And yeah, so Ares has been uh, crushed by the stones, but he seems to be more or less okay. The war is over, Ares, says Hercules. Our feud is finished. Admit defeat. And perhaps tis possible we may yet be friends. Are you deaf or insane, says Ares? Friends with you? I would rather be Pluto's slave. Deimos, move quickly! Fire the human weapon. So we actually have, um, yeah, Deimos is one of his sons, I think. I think that's how, that's where the moon of Mars gets its name. And uh, so Deimos reaches into this cannon that uh, Simon is, is tied to, and he fires it, and it, it goes pow, and Hercules gets hit straight in the chest by this tank fire. But... He's okay. And it says, for the, for the sound of a passing heartbeat, there's silence, deathly silence. Then, I grow weary of these games, says Hercules. There will be an end, Ares. I swear there will be an end. Do you hear? Aye, brother, I hear, says Ares. So we now know that, that Hercules is immune to gunfire. He doesn't need to avoid weapons because he just survived, not only survived a tank blast straight in the chest at almost point-blank range, but he uh, is perfectly okay. So I guess we don't need to worry too much about Hercules. And we see then on the, uh, like a, a slab, altar, or whatever, they have laid the uh, dead dog. And the caption says, 
Bargains are made. A truce is called. And from the shadows, four others join Hercules and the slightly deafened Simon St. Charles. Oh, you know, I guess he was, yeah, he was right there at the, uh, tied to the, to the barrel of the cannon. So I guess they, that would be pretty loud. The reunion is a somber one, for there is little joy in this meeting and more than a little defeat. And so Ares does this sort of magic hand-waving thing, and there's a glow, and the dog is alive. In return for my freedom, I'll do as you ask, Hercules, though why the life of a mangy cur should be sufficient payment for my so-called crimes, I'll never understand. Nor do I expect your understanding, Ares, says Hercules. Brother, you puzzle me. Brother, your puzzlement is a comfort. If you could understand my motives, I would consider those motives suspect, and too much like your own. I see. And now, Hercules, what now? You may flee, says Hercules. Like that, free to go, free to flee, free to know this. If I ever find you again, one of us will surely die. Then meet again we shall, O oh brother, and in that meeting only Ares will survive. And uh, Ares and his five soldiers go riding off. And yeah, so that seems to be the rather unsatisfying ending to the story. But the dog is alive, so what do we care? And Jennifer says, Like the man said, Hercules. Like the man said, Hercules. What now? Have we won or what? Against the god of war, no one ever wins, Jennifer Monroe. Against war, there are no final victories. Next issue, a new menace and a new direction for the man out of myth on sale the third week of July. And that is Hercules Unbound number six. And of course, we do have a few things to say about it, but we'll have to say them after we listen to this message. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back. So before we go into our, uh, you know, talking about the issue, I just wanted to have a really quick look at the uh, comics that came on the stand the same week as this issue. Once again, this is really, I, I like looking at these. Now, I haven't talked about them for the last few weeks because we've been looking at the ads, but we've kind of looked at all the ads now. There's really nothing new and exciting here. But uh, I'm going to look at some of these issues. And this was, you know, just, you know, a few months after I started collecting comics big time. And so just looking at the issues that were out this week is very evocative for me. So uh, in addition to the 18 Archie titles that came out this month, not including that Wilkin boy, so 19 if you include that, we also have uh, some key issues. We have the Avengers number 150. This was a one of those issues where the team kind of uh, it's kind of who will be the Avengers now issues. So that's actually was, it's had a, a very strong influence on me. Black Goliath number four, the penultimate issue of that series. Captain America and the Falcon number 200, the bicentennial issue by Jack Kirby. Uh, always very fondly remembered. 
We have the champions in issue number seven going up against the Griffin, which was another one of my favorite series back then. I like the team books. I, I tend to like the team books. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu number 25 featuring Sword Quest, which is kind of a samurai story, which I like. Doctor Strange number 17. Uh, we have the Eternals number two. As you have the uh, Celestials uh, attacking the Deviants. We have the Return of Galactus, uh, who's about to devour Counter Earth in Fantastic Four number one seventy three. We have uh, the first issue of the revived Green Lantern Green Arrow series. That's number ninety. I uh, believe that that was Denny O'Neill written, by, sorry, written by Denny O'Neill and drawn by Mike Grell. So again, that was one of those titles that really grabbed me back in the day. Green Lantern, of course, always being a favorite. Iron Man number 89 has him going up against the Blood Brothers, who are kind of very vaguely forgettable villains. Superman salutes the Bicentennial in a limited collector's edition tabloid. This was the Bicentennial summer. So this was, uh, everything was the Bicentennial at that point. I'm really kind of surprised we didn't have more of that actually in the comics. But uh, other than the ads, it really wasn't that big, big a thing. Marvel Chillers number six with Tigra, the Werewoman. Marvel Adventure number five. That was a short-lived series. It was a, a Daredevil reprint book. This issue having him go up against the Stiltman. Marvel Spotlight number 29 is with the part two of the two-part Moon Knight tryout. This was the, uh, yeah, kind of where it all began for Moon Knight. This was his uh, his tryout after appearing in Werewolf by Night. And yeah, I, I really, really liked these issues. And, and of course, that led to the uh, not quite as good uh, Moon Knight stuff, which has appeared since then. Marvel Premiere had the, uh, the man brute called Wood God. On the uh, second part of that two-part story. And Wood God was another one of these characters that was a very high-concept thing but never really went anywhere. Um, Marvel 2 and 1, number 18, The Thing and the Scarecrow. Scarecrow was another one of those odd Marvel characters that I thought was really cool back in the 1970s. But they never really did anything with him. It sounded like they were going to give him his own book and they wanted to spin him off. And yeah, it just never happened. Metal Men number 47. That's the, the classic Walt Simonson artwork there. We have uh, about 7 million different Richie Rich, including a Richie Rich and Casper series. Uh, so a lot of, lot of Richie Rich going on still at this time. $6 million man issue number two from Charlton. Isn't it odd? You know, Six Million Dollar Man had been around for a couple of years at this point. It took them that long to make a comic? Anyway, uh, we have Space Family Robinson, number 48. I think that they were starting to wrap up the series at that point. Um, this, of course, being the, uh, well, in name only, uh, sort of uh, in inspiration for the TV series Lost in Space. Starfire, number one from DC. No, not the Starfire you're thinking of. This was a sexy female sci-fi type character. This was drawn by Mike Vosberg, who is known for his uh, voluptuous women. Mike Vosberg, by the way, is a, a good friend of my cousin John uh, out in California. So uh, yeah, uh, he's still out there and he's still drawing stuff. Another landmark issue here, Mighty Thor, number 250, which we'll be talking about well, someday. <laughs> uh, and wrapping up our little review of, of the books out this month, X-Men number 100. This was a book that grabbed the hell out of me. This was one of my uh, really key uh, X-Men issues. It wasn't my first X-Men issue. I think that 
I, you know, I had bought number 97 off the rack. That was really kind of my first and had gone back and gotten the uh, ones back to 94. But um, this was really one that grabbed me. This was the original X-Men versus the new X-Men. And of course, they were androids, but, you know, who the hell knew that? Uh, and we have a Professor X in the cover standing uh, with his smashed wheelchair in the background. UFO and Flying Saucers, number 11. People tend to forget this was actually one of the wave of UFO interests uh, back then. And so we, we actually, there were a lot of uh, things involving UFOs and that kind of thing. All right. So uh, what do we think of the sixth issue of Hercules Unbound? Well, it continues to be stupid. Um, again, like I said during my, my coverage of the story, the getting from the Salisbury Plain to London is not that simple a matter. Without the train, I mean, you could probably do it by train in a couple of hours, uh, but it's not so close that you could do it in an hour, even if you're Hercules. Maybe if you're Superman or the Flash, it would not be a problem. But we actually have stuff happening as though it was right there. Now, granted, England's not the biggest island in the world, you know, but but it's not a place that you can get from Salisbury Point to London in, you know, 58 seconds like they are in this. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, bringing the dog back. If I were Aries, I probably wouldn't do that. And, and really, this is a very weak ending to the story. Now, listen, Aries wants nothing more than to be dead. That's basically what we're getting from this story. Yet, he's swearing that next time he fights Hercules that he's going to kill him. And he, he willingly brings the dog back to life. You know, I, I guess they're doing that because you identify with the characters, you identify with Kevin and then his dumb dog. But, yeah, it's it's lame. It really is lame. Well, thankfully, uh, we've actually seen the last of Hercules Unbound for a while. We're going to be going on and covering something else next week, and we'll be uh, covering other things for a while. But eventually, we will be back, and we'll, we'll finish off the last six issues of Hercules Unbound. And that is a different era. That is with uh, actually with um, David Michelini on the uh, scripts and Paul Levitz on the scripts, and none other than Thor favorite, Walt Simonson on the art so that'll be fun all right so with that it's time to wrap up the show once again folks thanks very much for listening and if you want to email the show you can do so the email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook just look for us there and you will find us and with that i am back over the uh, uh salisbury plain and back to london where i'm going to go in about you know, 10 minutes and uh, we'll see you next time here on radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>